The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I wanted to talk to you about a few things. First being Thrive Fantasy. It is a new DFS app for prop bets. They have streamlined the drafting process and eliminated the, the need to do unnecessary hours of research by using only top-tier athletes. Instead of the traditional salary cap format, you build your lineup around a list of prop bets. For each contest, you need to choose 10 of the 20 prop bets plus two ice picks that protect you from any late scratches or postponed games. Each unique prop has an over and under point value assigned to it, and you'll be rewarded that point value if that prop is correct. If you are new to Thrive Fantasy and you use promo code SPORTSDGENS, all one word, SPORTSDGENS, when you sign up for the first time, you'll get a match deposit up to $10 for free. So free $10 on Thrive Fantasy when you make your first deposit using Sports Degen. So go check it out. It's tons of fun. You do pick 10 of the 20 prop bets for the night, plus two ice picks. They do all the different sports. So go check it out. Thrive Fantasy on your app store and use promo code SPORTSDGENS for a free $10. Also, if you like making a little sports wager here and there, or you like voting on politics or the next coolest thing in entertainment go to mybookie.ag they're a fun fun sports betting website and they are offering it all they have all the mlb prop bets coming out they have the mlb over under win totals and much much more they have golf they have tennis they have everything you could possibly want and when you make a first deposit and you use promo code benched b-e-n-c-h-e-d you'll get a 50 percent first time deposit bonus up to a thousand dollars so deposit 100 bucks get a free 50 deposit 500 a free 250 so on and so forth up to $1,000 at mybookie.ag, promo code BENCHED. Last but not least, if you can go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, it would help a ton. The more ratings and review we get, the higher we move up the ladder, and the more and more people can get to see the podcast that might not know about it, and it will help us all out in the long run, get better guests, bigger guests, and much, much more. So if you can go to iTunes, give a rating and review, I'd much appreciate it. Now to this week's episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 150 with Eno Saris of The Athletic.
And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 150. Going to talk some uh, recent fantasy news, which we actually have some for once, some park factor information, some AL labor talk, and much, much more. In order to do so, joined by a special guest. You can find all of his awesome work over at The Athletic. He's on Twitter, at Eno Saris. Eno, how are we doing? Doing good. Doing good out here in spring training with the, with the Reds. Going to get uh, yelled at by Sonny Gray today, so it'll be good. Yeah, I was I was wondering if you wanted to talk about it or not. I wasn't going to. That was uh, oh man, I felt bad for you watching your feed yesterday. Like your article, oh the, the fact people want to twist shit like that is unbelievable. Like really, uh, um, I think it, it'll it I think it'll be okay. He'll he'll be irritated maybe that I put in a quote or two in there, but it was all on the record. And yeah. I, I I thought it was awesome of him to sort of open up about what went wrong. And really, the focus for me was on what is going to go right this year. And what, how he's going to get better. So the piece was really about how he learned about his stuff. He has like a high force, a high spin forcing, but it doesn't have good spin efficiency. So uh, he can't throw it like Rich Hill throws his high spin, high spin forcing, or how Justin Verlander throws his. He's not really that good with it high in the zone. It's not the same kind of pitch. So you know, he kind of learned a bunch of stuff. He threw in front of the machines at Vanderbilt, and he learned a bunch of stuff. And we kind of went through that. Um, and you know, there was a lot of cussing and he called his, sh- his slider shitty and, um, and, uh, I guess people picked that up and yeah, they, they kind of twisted. I don't think that, uh, it, that was how it was meant or uh, even how it comes across in the piece, but no, it, it doesn't. Uh, I, I read it right after cause I, yeah, I think you released it. I was in a meeting or something and I, I, I see all the stuff. I see your timelines. You're trying to explain it to people. I'm like, Oh crap. Oh, so I, I open up my app. I start reading it. And I'm like, this isn't even like. It's the typical world where people want to find what they want to find and roll with it, yeah. and that's that's all it was. I, I thought it was interesting. Like the bigger take home for me is, hey, Sonny Gray might be actually a feasible fantasy option for the Reds this year, even in Great American Small Park. But B, it's something we've seen more and more of all these pitchers using the technology, like you're talking about. We're hearing about the Rapsodo stuff and all these different deals. I heard a deal on Luke Weaver the other day. You're you've been kind of a pitching guru, a, a grip guy, all these things in the locker room. What are you seeing more and more with these tools that are getting out there? Because the Sunny Gray piece is just probably the tip of the iceberg. What's really happening out there? Yeah, and you know, the, I think you know, from my perspective, the players are much more comfortable talking about it now. Uh, it's part of their repertoire. It's part of what they do every day. They they go every bullpen now has Rapsodo or some sort of tracking machine attached to it. So every time they throw a bullpen, they talk about their spin efficiency and their spin rate and their you know all that stuff. So. They don't think it's anything weird anymore, um, and I guess I was on the on the forefront of that. So I, I represent that sometimes, and sometimes people will, you know, get into philosophical discussions about spin rate with me. So um, you know, I, I enjoy it, and it's really fun. And I think I think it's no it's no big deal. I think a lot of people out in the public are like, ah, oh, launch angle, it's so annoying, or you know, why can't well, the sabermetrics are killing baseball? But there are some, these are, they also represent a, a, a pathway for the, the pitchers to get better and for hitters to get better. It, you know, it, they, they can use these tools to get better. So it's not just about evaluating them or uh, putting them down somehow. It, you know, it, it can be, they can use it to their benefit. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, it's fun because, you know, 
the pitching stuff seems kind of newer to a lot of us out there where the launch angle has been going on for a few years. You know, you go to spring training and now it's, oh, this guy's like yonder Alonso developed the launch angle, Kyle Seager, all these guys. And now we're going to the pitching stuff. So it's a lot of fun to see. And it's fun listening to guys like yourself and others that really know what you're talking about, get into it and explain it to kind of the novices like myself that are kind of learning it as we go. And um, it is a great tool because back in the day, all we really had was, okay, this guy you know, hits ground balls, it's five balls or whatever. And now yeah. they can actually use a tool to develop what they're doing. So I think yeah, it's fun. For, to- for Sonny's fantasy um, aspect, I think, uh, you know, it is notable that Derek Johnson did a really good job with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, chopped liver really last year uh, in Milwaukee with that rotation. And uh, Derek Johnson was, a, you know, Sonny's greatest coach in, in high school and in college. Uh, and Caleb Cothan, the, assi- the assistant coach there, uh, was Sonny's uh, friend in college. Uh, nice, nice. So, you know, I-, I think that, you know, comfort is a big part of it. Uh, you know, he came up in, in-, in Oakland and that was all he knew, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so now now he's back to, you know, a more comfortable situation. I-, I think he'll be good. I don't know that he'll turn back into an ace or anything. Oakland suppressed a lot of those homers. And you're right. It's still great America. But um you know, I don't think the walks will be on nuts like they were last year. Well, yeah, it's just a simple thing like you were talking about. And he was talking about is, you know, they were kept asking to throw a pitch that obviously wasn't working. So yeah. if you could deviate away from stuff like that or whatever, um, use the technology to the benefit. And it, it'll, you'll get a long ways. Yeah. All right, let's talk about some recent news. Obviously, it happened a couple hours after my last recording, of course, naturally. Um, Bryce Harper signed to the Philadelphia Phillies. We obviously know the, the longevity of the deal, the money. It's all it's all great. From a fantasy impact, we saw him go fourth in tout mixed last night in an OBP format. Um, how do you look at Bryce going to the Phillies and kind of the overall effect he has on an already a pretty stacked lineup? He's an OBP monster. I mean, you know, definitely an OBP. He's a, a surefire top of the first round guy. He's, I think he has something like a 380 OBP over the last four years. And even in the years when he doesn't have a great batting average, he still has that great OBP. So I could see, I could see doing him fourth there. Um, you know, I, my first instinct was to say that, there, that people were overrating the park factor influence um, because overall uh, the two parks in Philly and Washington play more similar than people think. But uh, if you're talking about down the right field line, uh, there's a pretty big difference. It's something like the fourth friendliest park uh, down the line, uh, you know, you know, right field uh, versus in Philly versus something like the eighth or ninth friendliest park in, in Washington. So um, I, I would bump up the power expectation. Um, and, um, you know, I, I wonder about health. I don't know. He, he was kind of last year, he was kind of laying up on fly, on fly balls. Ben Lindbergh had a cool piece about that in the ringer. Um, and Mike Petriolo did some look into that and, and, um, you know, he was kind of laying up on, fi- on fly balls sometimes in order to uh, stay healthy and get to this contract, I think. So I don't know, I don't know how that's going to play. Is, that gonna, is he going to go all out now and, uh, and get hurt? Or, uh, you know, so I, I don't know exactly how that's going to play. Yeah, I noticed that he wasn't diving headfirst into first base anymore and, and running into walls and doing yeah. all that kind of stuff. So it is interesting to see. And it's one you might wanna, we might want to watch in the next couple of years with Mike Trout as well. Like, he doesn't get hurt very often, but he got hurt last year. And it's yeah. something people have to think about going forward. And but injury projection is you know is is yeah. tough for, for pitching and, and and possible for hitters. So I mean, remember when Stanton was uh, always injured, you know? So and getting hit in the face with the fastball is so injury prone. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. It's like it's like Troy Tulowitzki. Okay, his muscle injuries 
kind of lingered for a while there. But yeah, yeah. yeah, getting hit in the face of the fastball, not so much, guys. Not not really under your control. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is kind of a, you know, some people might laugh at as a fantasy option, but Clay Buckholtz was actually really decent last year in Arizona. It could have been humidor help. It could have been a lot of things. People said he was working on pitches. Goes to, to Toronto, not the most ideal ballpark to pitch in, not a great division to pitch in. Is there fantasy relevance to Clay Buckholtz this year? I'd want to pick and choose. So, you know, even, I, I think that makes them a tough one for deep leagues because mm-hmm. in a lot of deep leagues and only leagues, you have to play them, yep. you know. So uh, that's not great if you have to play them in New York and you have to play them in New York and Toronto. Uh, but uh, DFS and uh, maybe even, you know, if you're streaming, I would, uh, I would consider him in some bigger ballparks. I do think the humidor helped him a lot, I think keeping the homers down for an old pitcher like that with not, without the biggest strikeout rate. I think that's, that's an important thing. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, let's go to Kansas city. Salvador Perez. It's official. I believe he had Tommy John today. Actually, uh, that's what the reports out yesterday. He's out for the year. I don't even want to talk about their backup situation. It, it might be good for defensive purposes, but not for fantasy. What, what's more important to me is it was already a shallow position. We're seeing more and more two two catcher leagues out there. Um, how do you approach the situation? Because it used to be kind of a bugaboo. You don't take guys early, but it's getting bad out there. Yeah, yeah. In my um, TGFBI, the Great Fantasy Invitational mm-hmm. uh, League, I took uh, Real Muto. That's a that's a two catcher league. I took Real Muto in the fourth, I think. Uh, my value said he was like a twenty five dollar player. You know, uh, and uh, the the only true position scarcity is with catcher. Uh, you can get a pretty good down market shortstop these days. You know, you can get, you know, their second baseman that can swing the stick, but catcher is the place that uh, the teams stick their defensive guy these days. So, you know, one of the worst parts of it is, you know, I'd love to say, you know, get a middle round catcher right before it gets really bad. But the two guys that are basically right there before it gets really bad are Yadier Molina and Buster Posey, Buster Posey's coming off microfracture surgery, uh, and Yadier Molina is like approximately 84 years old. So, uh, I, and he and Yadier Molina catches like 90 percent of his uh, team's uh, innings every year. So, it, you know, that seems like it's going to come to a crash someday. But um, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know exactly what to do. I, I think um, I kind of want in the two catcher league. I kind of, I kind of want Real Muto or Sanchez. You know, whichever yeah. one is whichever one is a little bit cheaper, I'll take him. Yeah, I remember we were talking about that at the barf draft, and I, I grabbed Sanchez. I think you were looking to grab Rio Muto. I backed him up with Jansen just because it, it the year uh, before in barf, I, I I kind of took one good one and kind of waited, and it, it hurt pretty bad. Yeah, so. I think my second catch was pretty bad, and I was really I think I wanted Jansen around where you got him, and I think Jansen is actually probably the last uh, catcher mm-hmm. I want in like twelve and fifteen. That's the last yep. catcher I want. I don't really want to take the old guys. Yeah, I just put out my updated catcher rankings after the Salvi news, and I even mentioned in there after like Jansen or Beef Wellington. Those are yeah. kind of that's like the, the end point for me. Like I want nothing after that if I don't have to. It's exactly. like Cervelli desperation or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I that's ended up it. with Cervelli in that league. That was that was my late pick. Once because once I think literally once Jansen went, I'd be oh, well, I'm gonna wait like ten rounds now for my catcher, I guess. Pretty much. But I, I just um, want to do give a shout out to Jansen because that I think he's going to have a good year. He has, you know, ever since he got LASIK, he's been able to make contact with the ball. He's his strikeout rate's gone down, his batting average's gone up. I, I think he's going to have a good year. And he has great home park for power. So I think that's great pick by you. 
Yeah, I was pretty excited on him already. And then when they traded Russell Martin to the Dodgers, it just opened up the whole floodgates for him and um, kind of hurt his value, but uh, definitely made it much more viable. So I was, I was pretty pumped on that. Um, let's talk Los Angeles Dodgers. I've seemed to ask everybody this question on the show because new news comes out before every show. But Clayton Kershaw, now it's the news has come out. He's very likely to miss the start of the season. And, you know, it used to be the back was the issue. Now it's an arm issue, shoulder issue. What's your take on Clayton Kershaw? Because personally, I want nothing to do with him in fantasy drafts, but it is still Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, I mean, I had him going before the, you know, before all of the injuries, but when it was just like his back is sore, um, you know, early on, my first rankings, I had him 15th. And 15th is almost like a do not rank, was almost like a do not, a do not pick because everyone, there was going to always be someone who had him higher than 15th, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I pushed him down to about 25, and I think – Functionally, it's still kind of a do not draft, but uh, when I'm choosing between him and David Price, I think that's where I'm like, well, you know, Kershaw could could still come back and give me 160 great innings. I mean, even with uh, like stuff that was just the worst of his career last year, uh, he has such elite command that uh, you know he managed to be really good last. I don't know how he had a sub three ERA last year. Like literally, I don't know how his fastball. <laughs> and his slider were both like 90 miles an hour and not that different in shape, you know? So he's basically ended up being like this weird cutter curve guy. And that was about it. But he's a lot of smoke and mirrors. Yeah, it has to be, or, or just like elite command. I mean, he knows where to put it, but yeah, he's a, he's a hard nosed pitcher. He's a pitcher, not a thrower. So definitely saw that, but uh, I, I like to compare him to another lefty that you've seen plenty in, in Madison Bumgarner, obviously they're in different tiers these days, but both coming off of some rough goes of it, both have a lot of question marks coming in. Who would you trust more? If you had to have one guy, and we know there's different values of where they're going to be drafted, but if you had to trust just one of those two, which one would you go into the season with? Yeah, I, I think actually uh, Kershaw in the newest rankings has, has fallen pretty close to Bum. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good question. Uh, I think I might still take Kershaw. Uh, Bum just – you know, Bum – has touched 93 this spring, but I think he's that means he's going to sit 91. And uh, he sat 91 last year and had like a four or five ERA on the road. Mm-hmm. And I do trust both of them to kind of gut it out and get the most out of what they have. Uh, but more recently, Kershaw's uh, gutting it out has looked better. Yeah. And, and I like how you said that gutting it out. I, I've been explaining to people that haven't had the luxury of watching Bumgarner like, like I have growing up uh, and you watch him in person a lot is he's just such a hard ass that he's going to give everything he can to make it work. He's not just going to settle for something, yeah. but uh, yeah, his settling or his, his, his giving it all is might, might not be the same as Kershaw as you're saying. Yeah. Uh, let's talk one that kind of, that happened yesterday and really shook the Twitter verse. Uh, Luis Severino got scratched from the start. God MRI damn it. Shoulder discomfort. See, there's the result, the response everyone had. Um, they're going to shut him down for two weeks. We've seen this story play out so many different ways, and we still don't know the exact answer. What's your fears here? What's your thoughts? Uh, well, he's my labor ace. Uh, I thought he was being undervalued. Uh, projections love him. Uh, I saw two, two problems last year were that he was tipping his pitches and he wasn't trusting his changeup enough in the second half. And then late in the, in the year, he uh, started trusting his changeup and had some good starts. So, uh, I see him as a true three-pitch pitcher with great velocity, great strikeout ability, um, and I have him as, I think, the fourth-best pitcher in baseball this year. So it's a, it's a devastating thing, but uh, I don't know that we're all the way there to devastating, actually, because you know today 
he came out and he talked about how uh, he, he thinks it's fine. It's just a little discomfort. He's going to start throwing in two weeks, and he thinks he'll be back on track, and he you know, just wanted to make sure it was nothing. Okay, so let's keep an eye on that. Hopefully just a little early spring training incident. Um, I, yeah, I'd tuck him down to like 175 innings or something, and I, I'm not sure that I'm really ready good to. Era. Yeah, I mean, what, what do you expect out of uh, a pitcher these days? There's only like, you know, five to ten guys who cross the 200-inning plateau anymore. Yeah, one of your writers, uh, Matt Modica, who I've talked to many, many times on pitching, and he, he's put out some good charts and a lot of the, the material you guys have about, you know, only X amount reached this inning threshold, only X amount have done this. And Severino was was matched up with some of the best of the best. So, mm. yeah, even if it's just a little slight bump, you're right, it, it's still going to be pretty solid. Um, let's talk about Miguel Sano. There was a hype train on Sano making a bounce back, you know, the whole best shape of his life theory, all that good stuff. Well, he decides to go um, to a parade in the Dominican to celebrate, gets gets a gash on his leg or his calf, and now it's infected again, and he's going to be out for a little while. Looks like he's going to miss uh, at least the first month of the year, which is devastating. Um, I saw we, the note, and I didn't know why, and that is uh, sort of hilarious. Yeah, that's the thing. Is it's, it's like, out of all things that could happen to anybody, Miguel Sano, of all people, it's like, yep, here but we go. Every, everyone's back on year. board. Yeah, but every, after last year, I mean, he got demoted – partially because like sort of partying reasons you know he got demoted because he wasn't being uh you know wasn't uh being serious enough and everyone saw the the shape he was in and thought okay now he's serious and then he goes and has a less than serious you know injury i don't know it was Uh, it was celebrating their dominican winter league championship i was like jesus well i mean i guess he's going to go to that i mean what but like how how do you get a gash i wonder yeah Anyway, I, 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 I still like him, and one year he's going to have 600 plate appearances, and he's going to finally hit, like, 38 homers or something. But uh, he keeps looking bigger and bigger and, you know, just missing time and with these weird injuries. Yeah, we've seen a third baseman do that in San Francisco, and um, it doesn't end well. So just experience speaks. Lose that weight. Um, yeah. Let's talk Atlanta Braves pitching. It seemed like every day last week a new guy was hurt, and it could just be kind of like you know early spring incidents. Be it Soroka, Gahara, Gossman, Mentor, they're all going down. And I know they have a ton of depth, but it's not ideal for a fantasy perspective. What are you hearing or what are you looking at when it comes to the Braves pitching? Because a lot of those guys are on people's list to target later in drafts. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think it's an opportunity for Tuki Toussaint. Um, you know, Tuki, I, I was just talking to Lucas Arsag, who's a, a minor league uh, player for the uh, Brewers. Yeah. And he said the uh, he said the nastiest pitcher he saw last year was Tuki. So, um, you know, 94 with a really good curveball. Uh, the changeup is not amazing, but <clears throat> he makes it play. Uh, the command is not amazing, but with the stuff there, I could see him having sort of a, a high threes ERA, um, you know, 8K9 kind of year. Um, and I could see him, you know, maybe pitching 125, 150 innings in the major leagues this year because everyone's hurt, you know. I think uh, the other – what's interesting is that Ursag, the, the second guy he said, he said it was totally different than Tukey, that he really enjoyed watching or, or he didn't enjoy – he didn't enjoy watching, didn't enjoy <laughs> facing, was Kyle Wright. Nice. Uh, yeah, he said Kyle Wright was a real pitcher in terms of knowing where to put his stuff, had good command of all his pitches, knew how to sequence and stuff. Um, and Kyle Wright has been sitting 94, uh, 94, 95 in, um, in spring training. So, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good place to be, uh, especially mm-hmm. if you think you have, you know, if he has four pitches in command of all of them. So I don't know that Kyle Wright is going to break camp. 
but you know, the guys that have been injured so far have been like the fourth and fifth guys. We haven't even gotten to the point where, I mean, like, I guess Gaussman is, is really like a, a two or something, but, um, you know, I, you know, other guys could still get hurt, you know, yeah. <laughs> like oh, Julio Teron is not like, you know, the picture of hell. So, uh, I, I could see Kyle Wright pitching, you know, 50, 75 innings in the major leagues this year and, and being useful at some point. Yeah, I like that Kyle Wright call. When he got drafted out of Vanderbilt, he seemed like the most ready to make that jump real quick, a complete pitcher, as, as Ersic said there, which is really, really good to hear. Um, one last piece of news just came out like a couple hours ago, just kind of get your opinion on it. Um, Josh James of the Astros, we know he got the calf injury like last week. It seemed like dire straits to many. But A.J. Hinch came out today and said he's doing his running program on the, the practice fields, and if everything goes well, he's going to start his you know, throwing program again tomorrow. So if he starts his throwing program tomorrow, are we expecting him still to have that shot at the fifth spot or has everything kind of gotten pushed back? He's gotten options, you know. Uh, he's got options. I, I I could see Brad Peacock being the fifth starter just because yeah. he doesn't have options, you know, and um, maybe they can, they can get another reliever in there and maybe um, – you know, or maybe Framber, Framber and Peacock make the make the team, both of them, Framber Valdez and him. And uh, Framber goes down when James is ready and Peacock goes back to the pen, something like that. The, the thing that's tough is that they have two guys who were relievers last year that are slotted for the rotation in Colin McHugh. And, uh, jo- and um, even Josh James is like relieving a little at the end. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but uh, Colin McHugh and Brad Peacock. So I don't know that we can really project those guys to – throw 160 innings i know that McHugh has done it before and i know the peacock has you know had more of a starters workload before but the year right after uh they just threw 70 innings i'm not sure that that uh is going to work out so i i think it's almost like the dodgers situation in, in yeah. houston where you're going to have like eight pitchers uh that throw like i don't know i don't know if it's like actually sort of numbers possible but like you're gonna have like verlander and and, and uh Cole are hopefully going to throw 180 uh, or so. And then you're going to have behind them like six pitchers who throw 100 innings each or something. <laughs> yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to just be a melange of guys. And, you know, you'll get good rates and ratios out of those guys. And if, if, if like we're all averaging like 150 innings from our stars anyway, you can have those guys on your squad and not get hurt too bad in innings. But I don't think uh, as much as – so Colin McHugh is a great – sleeper if you give him 180 innings in his projection then he's actually something like the 40th ranked pitcher and that's why he's throwing up on sleeper lists because uh you know he has good stuff he's done the starting before if you give him 100 you know 60 180 innings then he's gonna be a 40th ranked pitcher but i'm not sure you need to draft him as a 40th ranked pitcher a because his adp is not that high uh, he's not being pushed that high. And B, because I'm not sure about the 160, 180 innings you're putting in his projection. Uh, I would put more like 100 in there. So I, I would put – I did this actually. It sort of turned out this way. With, and I don't. I hate to go ahead on the list. I know you put oh, these fine. names on this list. But we're talking about it, right? Yeah, no, it's totally fine. Uh, but you, I know you, you put – I think you put like Stripling mm-hmm. and Maeda next to each other, right? Yep. That's, how, that's how I think about the Astros. I, I think Stripling, Maeda, Urias – um, and uh, Ryu mm-hmm. are all good pitchers. And I think they are all capable of throwing like 120 innings this year with like a three, four-ish ERA. You know, plus or minus giving who you're talking about. Uh, exactly. But, uh, you know, Urias is throwing 97 miles an hour. 
Uh, Josh James can throw like 99. Uh, those two are my most exciting on talent. So I'd actually kind of rather draft them ahead of the other guys because I think the talent will will out in the end. And I don't think that anybody that we, anybody's name we just said is going to pitch more than like 125 innings. I really like how you broke that down because I've heard a lot of the call McHugh sleeper hype and, you know, Brad Peacock and they're all great pitchers, like you said, but no one's really, at least I've noticed has come out and said, uh, you need to t- you know, temper back and, and compare it to the Dodgers and because everyone complains about the Dodgers. Like, oh, yeah. the Dodgers pitching. No one said that about the Astros right now, and it's so it's been, true. It's gone it's so there, true. I think. Yeah, and, and it's, the, it's the Mike Shanahan-ing, you know. It's, uh, it's the zero RB, whatever, you know. It's like uh, it's the running back platoon. They're just going to – they're going to go in and out. Some are going to go to the bullpen. Some will go on a 15-day 15 15 DL for no reason, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll manage their way through the season with their, with their depth. Plus – you know, in any given season now, uh, teams need about 10 starters. So, you know, I, I, this is this is their de- – they're using their depth that way, you know. Yeah, that's a great point, something to definitely consider as draft season ramps up. Um, one thing I wanted to talk to you about – I wanted to talk about this for a while. I, I forgot to mention it at the Mark Draft. Your article in The Athletic – and then I want to talk about a lot of your articles, but I want people to go subscribe to The Athletic, so go figure that out. <laughs> but um, I, I've been a subscriber since day one. I've told people when you guys did the fantasy, big fan of that whole development there – um, your Man, park factor, job, yeah. your park factors article really stood out to me because a lot of people go to Fangraphs, they go to ESPN, and there, there are definitely two different ways of looking at it, as your article dictates. But what you started breaking down is by using the stat cast metrics, by using you know the high drive percentages and all this, and we started seeing new names popping up at the top of that list, preferably mm-hmm. the Dodgers and the Angels. Um, when you're looking at this, how does your new formula kind of take things into consideration besides just the high drive, I guess. I don't know if I'm asking this properly. How does it differentiate between the two other ones, ESPN and Fangraphs, besides just the high drives, I'm trying to say? Yeah, um, I think what it was was kind of like a first salvo. I definitely had people from those other sites contacting me after my piece, being like, that was really interesting. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're going we're to look into, you know, trying to develop our park factors maybe along those lines. I think StatCast offers us the opportunity to develop really good park factors in ways that we didn't have before park factors before used to take a player and match him sort of a home and away. And you would kind of try to match players home and away and, and, and uh, get a sense of production by their splits almost. And that's a really limited way of doing it. Even if you regress and you do this, you try to do your best to, to, to uh, do it. You're still relying on actual results of human beings and not sort of looking at it sort of scientifically, I would say. And so what StatCast offers us the opportunity is to basically say, hey, if I had the exact same ball, you know, with the exact same exit velocity and the exact same launch angle, uh, where would it go in this park? And where would it go in this park? And where would it go in this park? Uh, Mine did that sort of by saying, uh, here's a high drive. A high drive is this many, uh, you know, over 90 miles an hour in in this launch angle band that usually turns into home runs, right? And so I just did percentage of high drives that turn into home runs by park. And yes, uh, Dodger Stadium was number one, which is a surprise. And in terms of people that moved with respect to their normal park factor, Angels uh, were also up there. I don't think they were like number two or three, but they were like five or six. And every other place says they're like uh, almost a pitcher's park. So, and I personally think it has to do a little bit with warming, global warming. And um, if you've, if you've been in LA recently, uh, you've noticed, uh, you know, I remember growing up, LA was hot, but 
you know, in October, it was like 80, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just covered a game in the World Series. It was 8 o'clock, 8 p.m., and it was 98 degrees <laughs> on the field in October. Yep. Yep. And tell me, you know, temperature is actually one of the largest uh, parts of park factors. So if, if, you know, if we're looking at five-year park factors, we may not be capturing the fact that it's been super hot in L.A. the last couple of years. So, um, you know, that's part of it. And then also, like, you, if you do a three-year park factor, they put a humidor in Arizona, you're like, well, I think it's going to be, you know, less than the crazy offensive park it used to be, but I don't know how much. You know, with StatCast, we were able to say it's going to be basically neutral or maybe slightly pitcher's park, and that's what how it ended up. Yeah, no, it was just very interesting and eye-opening because, you know, I do a lot of DFS and other things, and you, yeah. you, do, you do inner work park factors when you're looking at your daily yeah. your daily stuff and when you can pinpoint little nuggets like this it's really interesting and even on the the flip side some of the the ballparks you know everyone thought atlanta was hot uh, a hot ballpark and it's really not looking at stuff like this and yeah then, uh, there's other factors that are really really interesting and um, and uh if anybody does subscribe and check it and checks it out uh in the comments i put it by left and right field okay. uh some people thought left and right meant left-handed and right-handed those are left and right fields, so you kind of have to flip in your brain. Uh, yeah. But if but there are they're in the comments, so we do have it done by field. So if you have kind of a pull power righty or whatever, you can actually look down the 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 Statcast Park Factor uh, to well, he's a righty, so left field, uh, and you can kind of do it that way. So that's in the comments if anybody was like reading the piece and wondering about that. Yeah, it's really awesome stuff. I recommend going rec- uh, checking it out. Uh, check out his like his woba or what stats should people look at piece. There's a lot of good stuff there, as always, from Eno and the boys. So go check that out at the Athletic. Um, I wanted to talk to you about a little little draft you did the other night, AL Labor auction draft. Mm-hmm. Um, Severino it, it, was my ace. Yeah, I didn't want to bring that part up. That wasn't uh. the plan. When, 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 I, when, when I when I put the outline together, that was not intended there. Uh. But um, what I, one thing I wanted to ask you specifically is. You know, there's all these different articles and podcasts that talk draft strategy, but you don't hear a lot of auction strategy. You do a lot of auctioning with these bigger leagues and everything. When you're going into an auction draft, what's your kind of game plan? What do you, you know, some guys say, you know, 67, 33 format, stuff like that. What do you look at? Yeah, well, take this with a grain of salt because uh, I haven't won one of the big name ones yet. But (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's a tough one. I have talked to people who've won. (laughs) They're, They're among my best friends. (laughs) <laughs> um, no, uh, uh, my strategy is to, in, because it's, I think of it as an only league, right? So mm-hmm. auction strategy for mixed league might be a little bit different. Um, but in an only league, uh, I like an AL only league, NL only league, I want to buy plate appearances. I want to buy innings pitched. Uh, so it's kind of the flip of what I was saying earlier about the Astros and the Red Sox, uh, Astros and the Dodgers. In those situations, I'm talking mixed league strategy, mixed league strategy. I just want the best player because I can flip and there's going to be something on the wire. When you play a 12 team NL only league with two catchers and five outfielders, there's nothing on the wire. There's nothing on the wire. (laughs) So I don't want to rely on the wire at all. So in that league, um, my worst uh, position players are, are left handers uh, that should at least be on the big side of a platoon. That's uh, Daniel Palka um, in, uh, in Cleveland and Billy McKinney, I think he's a left-hander. But in any case, uh, Toronto has every reason to play Billy McKinney because they need to see if he's going to be part of their future. So uh, those are my two worst uh, position players. And uh, even with catcher, you might say those are worse. They're definitely worse. I got Chris Herman. Um, I got an inside source that tells me Herman is the starter. 
and uh, he's going to be um, he's a left-hander. So he's actually going to get the most of the, the, the time there in Oakland. And the other one was uh, John Hicks, who is going to play some first base in Detroit. So, uh, you know, I was like, I'm buying hopefully more plate appearances than most uh, crappy catchers. And I think both those guys might hit 240. So, <laughs> yay! <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how they still justify two catchers in a only oh league. That God. is just ridiculous. But so hard. yeah, you penciled it together pretty good. A couple guys I just wanted to ask you on here that I really like. I'm huge on Matt Chapman, so don't need much there. But you got Shohei Otani for ten bucks, which could be a steal since words coming out that he might be back a little earlier than expected. What are you expecting from Shohei Otani this season? Um. My value sheet said, uh, or like my projections said about 400 plate appearances, uh, 450. And uh, with that, 25 home runs and 10 steals. Um, he's that, he is a pretty good bat. And so my auction value, I think, said 16 bucks, and I got him for 10. So I didn't, I didn't really love it because it, it penciled, you know, it stuck me in. And I couldn't really go after like G-Man Choi, I think, might get 400 plus uh, plate appearances and hit, you know, 17, 18 homers. And he I think he went for a buck or two. And I was just like, ah, you know, I wish I could I wish I could have uh, bid on that. But I have Otani in there. Uh, but at the same time, I think Otani is a pretty special talent. If they let him steal, uh, I think the 10 steals is low. If they don't let him steal, uh, it'll be high. So there's a little bit of risk there with the stolen bases. But even if I just get 270 average with 25 homers. Uh, that's that's pretty good for ten bucks. Yeah, going into your alpha, I do like the Palka move, especially for the power there in Chicago. But you got Austin Meadows for sixteen bucks. There's a lot of uh, people that are in love with Austin Meadows this year. Kind of his first full go around with Tampa Bay. What are you looking at when you when you pick Austin Meadows? Uh, I've been talking about his ass for years. Uh, <laughs> I just felt like I just felt like his lower half uh, suggested that uh, that uh, he had more power coming. And I'm not sure when it'll arrive. Uh, we've been waiting a long time. Maybe it's only going to be 18 homers. You know, maybe it'll only be 15 to 18 homers. Uh, that's what the projections say. I think there's upside there. Uh, I think there's a little bit more upside there than with the stolen bases. I think maybe stolen bases, you know, if I get 20, I'll be really lucky. But it'll, I think it'll be more like 15. But I think the homers, I think the number of homers is actually up in the air. His batted ball profile isn't one that suggests that he's a weak uh, ground ball hitter or anything. Um, I know Tampa is a place, a hard place to hit, but he'll hit in other places too. So I, I don't know. I wouldn't be too surprised to see him, you know, hit like, uh, you know, if he hit like 15 away from home and eight at home or something, if it, you know, something like that. I could see him going over 20 homers. Um, your top priced bat was Eddie Rosario. Then you had Matt Chapman. Your top priced player period was Luis Severino. You spread it out pretty well because, like, some guys will go, I'm going all in and getting, like, two or three guys, like Greg Ambrosius or something, and then yeah. spread it out. Or you, you you decided to just kind of take a more balanced approach. Was that something you planned on going into it, or did it kind of dictate as it went? Well, my value sheets never line up with uh, the way people bid on the stars. I'm always, you know, 2 $3 short on the, on the biggest stars. Um, and, uh, so I usually just, when the, when they're bidding on stars, I usually just try to find the one that's the closest to my number. So Eddie was right on 27, 27. Um, you know, before above that, there was usually a, at least a dollar, um, between my values and how he went. So, um, and knowing what I do about how bad the wire is and how I want to build my team, it, it was a little bit of my strategy, I guess, but it also kind of was, came out of my numbers, you know, so. Uh, but yeah, I don't want to have I don't want to have a dollar hitter. 
I don't want a dollar catcher. I, I think dollar catchers are really terrible. They're really, really bad. Well, they hurt team more than anything. Yeah, and you have just two. You have a two team, uh, a two two catcher twelve team league. You know, you know that's you, the dollar catcher is a backup who's bad. Uh, so I don't I don't like that dollar outfielders. Uh, there were a couple. I think uh, DJ Stewart went for like a dollar or two, yeah. and he he seems like he has a role there. Um, you know, there were some okay dollar or two outfielders, but uh, I feel pretty good with Daniel Polka and Billy McKinney, so I, I can't complain. No, not at all. The last guy I want to ask you about here is the pitcher. You got Michael Pineda for six bucks. You know, we know we had TJ. He's missed all last year with TJ. He's he's looked really good in his early spring action here. Um, what what are you expecting from Michael Pineda this year? I think sort of like a high three ZRA and good strikeout numbers. I'm not expecting anything uh, amazing, uh, but I do think that one thing that has changed uh, since he was in the league, since he missed uh, that year, is that the ball has kind of changed. And, you know, he had such bad homeritis before he left. Uh, and now he comes back to a park that's much nicer than, uh, than Yankee Stadium was in terms of home runs. Uh, and he comes back to a ball that's nicer. So I expect, uh, I expect the home run total to be very manageable. And that's, that's how he'll keep his ERA under four. All right. Uh, last question. You kind of hinted at it a second ago. But were there any guys that you really want to go into the draft that just – it was out of your control and it just didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, I had set up a couple uh, plans where I had targets and one of the targets, I, one of the plans that I liked the most, I uh, had Rougenet Odor at second. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Odor showed a lot in cutting a strikeout rate last year and um, you know, cutting the strikeout rate. If he, if he keeps that strikeout rate low and then adds the power that he had before, he could have a really good season because he's a power speed guy on the middle infield. Uh, who could hit, you know, 260 with 30 homers and 20 steals. I mean, that's not even – it's not crazy. And you know why it's not crazy? He's 25 years old. Yep. So uh, that was like uh, – that was one where – but I think I had him at like 24, and I think he went at like 27 or something. And I was just like, well, I have this other plan with Eddie Rosario, so I guess I'll just go do that one. Um, okay. But, uh, you know, Odor was in there. And the reason that I have uh, – uh, Kipnis in there was he was one of the last uh, middle infielders that I wanted, um, you know, I actually wanted. And uh, last the last two years, even though he's older and the batting average hasn't been great, he's actually been above average when it comes to strikeout rate, walk rate, uh, fly ball rate, uh, you know, stolen base ability. Uh, so I don't know uh, he'll, if he'll keep running out these low BABIPs and low batting averages. Um, if he does though, I still feel like I can get 15 homers and 10 steals and, uh, you know, I got him for 11 bucks. So at second base, I'm happy with that. Yeah. I just wrote about Kipnis as a late round second base, middle infield option. And I agree with everything you said there. There's a lot to like there, especially hitting when Lindor gets back hitting between Lindor and Ramirez won't suck for him either. So there's a lot to like there. Uh, let's talk about some late round fantasy baseball starting pitchers, uh, going, you know, after the pick. The 80th starting pitcher off the board, some a little sooner than that. But let's talk Kevin Gossman first. We kind of mentioned him earlier with the Braves things. He's supposed to be starting his his program here this week, so things look okay for Gossman. When he came over to Atlanta, he pitched really well. Got out of Baltimore. That always helps. But uh, things looked good. Are we anticipating those things to continue this year with the Braves? Well, I'm not sure. You know, I, I know that I know that he may underwent a lot of changes, and I like that he. Uh, you know, changed his place on the rubber and changed his pitching mix a little bit and had a different approach in general. But, 
and I like that that lines up with a change in ERA. But the weird thing is that his peripherals uh, didn't change other than um, his, uh, what was it, his homer rate basically was, was like a .5 homers per nine in Atlanta. And, and as much as going from Baltimore to Atlanta will help your homer rate, I'm not, I'm not sure it's going to be like that, you know? Uh, I, 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 think, I think he's like a 3-9-ish, 4-ish ERA guy, even in Atlanta. So, um, and I don't think he's going to bring so many strikeouts that makes that a more valuable package. So I, I think he's an okay pitcher, and I have him in my, like, the back end of my top 50 or so, but um, I'm not sure that he's, he's a target of mine. All right, let's go to San Diego. Uh, Joey Lucchesi, he burst onto the scene last year. People fell in love with him. He got injured, came back, still had a really, really good season overall. Um, coming into this year, there's pretty high expectations for the kid. What are your thoughts on him? Does he have a chance to keep keep rolling with the momentum he developed last year? I was a little down on him because he has really bad command and uh, kind of just two pitches. Uh, sometimes the classifications say he throws a change and throws a curve, but it's really what he calls a churve. And uh, it's this overhand thing that drops but doesn't have much fade. So it's, it's basically the same pitch usually. Um, so he's kind of just a fastball curve uh, guy with bad command. So I, I've been down on him, but he's adding a cutter. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe the command numbers were just his first year in the league. Maybe they'll improve a little bit. So, uh, I, you know, I think that he will have a high threes, maybe a profile as close to Gossman's. But you have to admit that I would rather have Lucchese's upside than Gossman's, I think. No doubt about that. Uh, another guy that's kind of had a bigger second half, saw some things change with Pittsburgh last year, and a lot of people are writing about him and wanting to, to take him as a, as a sleeper, possibly, is Joe Musgrove. Um, are you buying into all these this, this hype train that has started for Musgrove? Um. Yes. Yes. Uh, I hope I, I wonder if I started it. Um, <laughs> it could have been you. It's been, I've seen it a few places now. Yeah. Uh, I wrote about, um, pitchers that, uh, have, uh, a wide variety of stuff and are going late. So he has, uh, you know, four or five pitches that are all above average. Uh, he has good command of those pitches. He had good velocity last year. Uh, he's in a good pitcher's park. So I think everything lines up for him to be good. I don't know if it lines up for him to be great, uh, but I have him, I think, in my late 30s or early 40s, and I'm pretty excited about it. All right. Uh, we mentioned Sonny Gray earlier going over to the Reds. Another guy, Alex Wood, got traded in the Yasiel Puig trade, and he's, he's been good for about 150 innings for two years in a row. As we now know, if we're talking about park factors, not as big of a, a, sh- a shift as people would think. Um, how are you looking at Alex Wood this year? Because this is a guy I could never really get behind because he just seems so hittable, but he's not. He gets the job done. How do you look at Alex Wood in Cincinnati this year? Uh, you know, he's a uh, – I, I think the projections are adding too many homers in, um, and I think he will be sort of a 3-8 guy. Um, and I think he might be undervalued, actually, uh, especially because he's kind of in that boring veteran class. Um, but, you know, one of the things he's going to do is uh, get hurt sometimes. I mean, he does. He just always does. And he, his, his mechanics just look like, I, to me, they look like a toddler melting down uh, on the mound. So uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure about those mechanics. I'm not sure about his health, but, uh, you know, riding while he's in there, I feel like. Yeah, I just can't get behind him. It always, I don't, I don't get it, but people like him. So he's got to have something going for him. Let's talk about a guy in Philadelphia that I, uh, my phone it, is melting down here. So I got to get out of the sun. Oh, no problem. Um, 
Jake Arrieta with the Phillies, he seemed to get it done last year and literally is the definition of smokes and mirrors. The strikeout rate just plummeted last year, but, you know, still had a below four ERA going in this year. What's your thoughts on um, uh, on Jake Arrieta this season? I think, you know, I think people are, are, are letting him fall too far. Um, he's still solid. And I think he'll, I think he'll have a, you know, a 380 or he'll have fewer strikeouts than Wood. Um, and, uh, you know, with the sinker though, he, he does, he does keep the home run rate down, even in that park. Um, you know, I think that team is going to get him some wins, uh, and he's going to, I think he'd be kind of a volume-ish play, you know, not, uh, you know, when everybody else is picking longer shots, um, Arietta keeps dropping in drafts and I keep seeing people pick up Arietta as like their fifth starter. And I'm like, well, that, that's, that's pretty decent. How do you, how do you look at a guy like Arietta and compare him to a guy like Dallas Keuchel? Um, similar. I think there's just a little bit more risk with Dallas Keuchel in terms of where he shows up. And then also the velocity for Keuchel is, is down below 90. So, um, you know, velocity is still important and Jake has, has more of it and, uh, more, you know, more, uh, you know, where he's going to end up, you know? Yeah. They're both falling tremendously in drafts right now. So it's really interesting to see when that point is where you say, screw it. I'm taking the gamble. All right. Uh, a couple of, Angels pitchers, I want to mention two lefties. Andrew Heaney's coming back from his little injury here to start spring, and they got Tyler Skaggs. Two guys that we've seen have good, good stuff. Haven't seen put it together for a full season. You can get them at pretty good value right now. How do you look at those two Angels pitchers coming into the draft season? Yeah, I think I, it's funny. I think I have them near each other too. Like I have the Dodgers near each other, and I have uh, the Astros near each other, and then I have those two Angels near each other. Um, I, I've always liked them and I've always liked their pitches. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's about time. I guess I'm the, the breakout potential. The, if there was like a sort of breakout percentage versus, you know, staying the same percentage, uh, I'm going to reduce that every year that they're just like, okay, ish, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I used to think Haney could really break out and, you know, enter the top echelon of the league with, uh, sort of, uh, fast you know he has a good slider good change in 93 94 on the fastball i thought he could really put it all together at this point i think they're decent picks but i'm not sure that the breakout percentage is really high or is as high as it used to be okay. i think i think they kind of have some some flaws that just are going to keep him from there like skaggs you know the command isn't great and he really gets injured every year i mean he's just even when it's not like a big deal injury he's still it's still hard for him to put innings together are you buying into any of these Angels pitchers? You got Skaggs, Heaney, Cahill, Harvey. You mentioned them kind of in your Park Factor article, but like Cahill and Harvey, we saw good strides last year, but still a lot of sketchiness. Are you buying into any of those guys this year? Not really. Uh, the Cahill's throwing 92, and he's going from uh, a park that really suppresses homers to one that might not do it as much as people think. Um, you know, you know, in an AL only, maybe I'd just take the innings from him before he even got hurt. But he admitted to me that now all he does is basically throw as hard as he can until it hurts too much. Oh, Jesus. So, uh, <laughs> Not and, ideal. Throw, and throw as many breakers as he can because he used to be a reliever and that he kind of had a late career breakout when he just started throwing harder and throwing more curveballs. Um, and so I asked him, it seems like your strategy now when you go to the rotation is just keep throwing as hard as you can and keep throwing as, as many curveballs as you can and don't worry about the DL. And he goes, yep, and I've been hurt a lot. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bold strategy, Cotton. Yeah, um, the, one, the one name that uh, does stick out a little bit is Jaime Berea. Yeah. Um, I don't think 
I'm, I don't think he can break out and be like a, a great mixed league guy, but in deeper leagues, um, because he only throws 91 or so. Uh, but uh, one thing that happened last year is they had him throwing a sinker more than his four seam, and his four seam is a slightly better pitch. Uh, and Charles Nagy was the pitching coach there, and he just came in and said, you know, I threw a sinker, so why don't you guys throw sinkers? And I think the game is going away from sinkers. Um, so Varia goes back to fastball slider change with the four seam. Uh, I could see him improving in certain areas, strikeout rate, uh, maybe being a borderline guy. I think I have him in my top 70. Okay, right last, there, uh, right down the edge. last guy I want to ask you about here is Jimmy Nelson. We know he missed a lot of like all of last year due to injury, but uh, reports are coming out. He's back to throwing. Things are looking good. He might be back sooner than we expect. How do you evaluate Jimmy Nelson going into the season? I have almost no way of evaluating him until I hear a velocity number. And I hate to be so reductive and have people be like, oh, he's just a velocity guy. But it's just, it's just a great indicator of overall health. Uh, and velocity is like the number one uh, you know, predictor of future success. So it's just uh, an important number. It's an important number. I mean, I had Michael Fulmer real high because I thought he was going to throw 96. Uh, and now he's throwing 91. So he's going to drop like 20, 30 spots in my next rankings, which are coming okay. out Friday. There we go, everybody. Go check those out. <laughs> and the last thing here is you, you mentioned right there the velocity you're seeing in spring. You know, there's a lot of hubbub around spring training news and what to believe and what not to believe. You, you get to hear a lot of the, the, the news inside and everything. What do you take as important and what do you take just as the, the grain of salt when you're looking at spring training? The uh, very little I take um, as important. The one thing I might uh, listen to is velocity. And um, I've, I, there was a piece that we had by Rob Arthur that said that max exit velocity is important, even in one number. Um, the problem is uh, we don't get that for everybody. But uh, as an example, um, uh, Carlos Correa just hit a ball harder in spring than he did all of last year. So uh, that's, that's, that's meaningful to me because it's uh, almost like velocity where it's like, oh, maybe he's healthy. You know, he's been unhealthy uh, off and on over the last couple of years. So um, that's if you when they play in Salt River or whatever, you can actually hear some exit velocity sometimes Um, and then otherwise uh, pitch velocity. And then the third thing that I will pay attention to a little bit is uh, playing time. Um, Who's 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 playing with the starters and what positions are they playing at? So, Mm -hmm. you know, where is a guy like Marwin Gonzalez playing? Where is Kike playing guys who might play in multiple positions? You know, where are they playing them? Where are they putting them? Who's, who's you know, depth chart stuff. And I think depth chart stuff is um, harder to put into, like, one number or uh, be concrete about. It's, and, and, and you don't want to be like, oh, they're all saying what a great spring he's having. Uh, and they're all excited about him. Because they, everyone spends spring writing fluff pieces about how excited they are about everybody. Um, so, you know, like for example, Franklin Barreto up in, in, uh, Oakland, they're, they're excited about how he can, he, he play in the outfield and he's looking a little better with the contact in the spring and, you know, everything's awesome. And I, you know, I asked around and they're like, well, he's, you know, he's probably going to go down. So, (laughs) you know, he's going to be, he'll be the first man up. Uh, but there's not really room on that roster for him. So, uh, I, there is, there are some sort of updates about playing time, updates about where a guy played. That that stuff, grain of salt. But you know, when you're when you're trying to figure out a depth chart, I think depth charts are actually, if you want to just do one thing when you prepare for a draft, uh, just especially if the deeper your league is, go through depth charts. Just go through depth charts and be like, where do I not agree? I don't think that guy's going to play there. 
um, then that's really important. And, uh, and uh, you, can, you can identify. Like I picked, uh, Michael Hermosillo is not the most exciting uh, player in the world. He is, he's got some power and speed. He's a prospect of the Angels. I picked him in my reserve rounds for labor just because the Angels don't have another outfielder other than the big three. Now, Peter Borges might make the team, but Michael Hermosillo is more interesting than Peter Borges. So, you know, and he's also the next guy up. So, you know, you look through depth charts and you, you look for a weakness in a team. You look for a place where this guy could step forward or, you know, or, or if someone gets hurt, you look at that depth chart and say, okay, who's next man up? And that's, that's a thing you can kind of try and figure out in the spring. Uh, but you have to be careful because, like I said, everyone's, everyone's uh, super excited about everybody right now. Yeah, that's some awesome, awesome information right there from you, you know. And um, the guys at Sleeper on the Bust will be very proud with your Hermosillo uh, pronunciation because they, they, <laughs> they, 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 they were really hoping that they could get, like, audio of how you uh, wanted to draft him in, in the league. <laughs> so that, that'll be awesome. But, um, you know, thanks for joining me today. Before I let you go, um, every, let everybody know what you got coming up at The Athletic and uh, where they can find you. Mm, I'm working on a piece about bizarre – things that people do in spring training to get ready for the season. That'll be fun. Nice. Uh, I'm going to update my rankings with a whole list of velocity updates uh, from spring training uh, on Friday. And uh, I'm now about to go inside and get yelled at by Sonny Gray. So, <laughs> Well, hopefully it goes a lot better for you yeah. this time around. But uh, I think yeah. you'll understand, like you said, he might have a few words, but he's got to get it at that. He's been in the, he, he was living in New York, so he knows how the media twists things. He's got to he's got, yeah yeah uh also hope to get an interview with uh, joey Votto, and that's always a highlight for me in spring training is to get the yearly Votto in so well looking forward to it all everybody go check him out on twitter at eno saris and go check out all the great work at the athletic but uh, thanks for joining me again this was bench with bubba episode 150 with eno saris thanks for having me bubba thank you